Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's April 11th, 1936, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that Billy Butlin opened his first holiday camp in the English resort town of Skegness. But actually, he had already welcomed his first camper because so fervid had the publicity campaign around the opening been that a woman called Frieda Monk from Nottingham was so keen she had turned up a day early by mistake. She got off the bus outside the holiday camp where Billy Butlin and all his top people were sitting around preparing for the opening the next day. And they noticed this woman, you know, I can just imagine her in her little brown suit and hat with her little <laughs> luggage bag getting off the bus. And so they had given her dinner and a chalet anyway. And so she became the first ever Butlin's camper. I just think of all of those days when you're like in the final throes of trying to get everything ready and how the, you know, the, the paint <laughs> is all still drying and things are half hung and everyone's in a state of panic. They must not have been ready for Freedom Monk. They must have been like, oh God, positions, <laughs> positions, everybody start the rides, do the things, fire up the stoves. <laughs> so if you don't know what Butlin's is, I think it's worth saying for international audiences in particular, it's a holiday camp. Uh, which they did have all around the world, but we didn't have in Britain. It wasn't a traditional British holiday, even though we had lots of local seaside resorts like Skegness. People used to go and stay in a and b generally. And so families would get kicked out by usually the landlady early in the morning, well, after breakfast, hence the name, right? So Billy Butlin had worked at a fairground in Barry Island in Wales and witnessed families getting kicked out from B&Bs at nine o'clock in the morning where it's freezing cold you know there's only a f- so many times you go around the carousel and sit on the beach having an ice cream <laughs> in the freezing cold before you want to go back into your hotel room particularly when the baby needs an appy change or whatever and that wasn't possible and yeah. he had come from an international background he'd grown up in canada and south africa and he had seen holiday camps working in those places and thought aha He said, I felt sorry for myself, but I felt even sorrier for the families with young children as they trudged along, wet and bedraggled or forlornly filled in time in amusement arcades until they could return back to the boarding houses. It really doesn't paint the most sort of rosy picture of of a British seaside holiday (laughs) that, um, you know, having grown up in Australia... You go to the beach and you're just out all day because you could depend upon the weather being pretty yeah. nice. But uh, but that's not the case here. But also, if you wanted to get out of the rain and the cold and, you know, stop the kids from whinging, you had to keep paying for new activities yes. for them to do. And obviously, the, the average working family didn't have huge amounts of disposable income, especially at that time. And so what the genius of Butlins was that it's not only offering this sort of collective experience, you know, you've got all these attractions at your disposal included with your payment. So it's this sort of sociable open atmosphere but they're also offering you privacy and Mm. autonomy which was something that you didn't have when you were staying in some you know crabby old widow's boarding house on the seafront the idea that you could go back into your little chalet and I mean they were extremely basic they didn't have hot running water or anything like that 
but this idea that you could have this little miniature holiday house to call your own was something mm. that the average person just wouldn't have experienced. But it's astonishing, isn't it, that success that came of this single ad that he took out in the Daily Express in 1936 that was promising this, you know, three meals a day and free entertainment. For 35 shillings a week, by the way, £1.75. Yes, right. But it was so popular that by the time it opened its doors, it was already completely booked for the entire season. Yeah, because it opened to coincide with the Easter holiday. And the official opening was by the pioneering aviatrix Amy Johnson. (laughs) Wow. It's quite clever to open it at this time of year, though, isn't it? I mean, I know that's what all holiday parks do, obviously. They open for the spring season kind of in hope more than expectation because, you know, the big season (laughs) is the summer, but you need to get all the staff there and whatever. But then, with a concept that had never been proven before, it kind of made sense not to do it in the summer where everywhere was nice and hot, but to take advantage of the, the few days of spring sunshine where people are desperate and hungry to get out there to the beach. Mm. It's funny that you mentioned the celebrity who opened the park because it came to be a place that stars of the era went to perform. And actually, none of these names mean anything to me, but perhaps they will to you. They had Gracie Fields, Essie and Doris Waters, Will Fry and Will Fife. Anything? Anyone? You, you? Gracie Fields. Yeah, yeah. Sure. she was okay. famous. Cricketer Len Hutton. Len what Harvey. What did he do? Uh, (laughs) what's a cricketer gonna do (laughs) oh well len Len harvey was interesting he was the uh light heavyweight boxing champion which seems like a contradiction in terms but he uh sparred with a kangaroo so that was his uh contribution to the button okay that's good actually (laughs) i take it back really what they're known for though is having been a first rung on the ladder for a whole generation of sort of light entertainers of the 1960s and 70s right so benny hill des o'connor cliff richard Mm. jimmy tarbuck they all started as redcoats which was the names of the entertainers who, as it was, not past tense, actually still are, the names of the entertainers who walk around the site and look after the kids and put on the shows. Ringo Starr, when he was Richard Starkey, played Butlin Skegness uh, in the Rock Ballroom with the band Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. And it was actually (laughs) apparently at Butlin Skegness that he kind of decided to join the Beatles. Wow. Yeah, apparently Lennon and McCartney came and saw the band play and then approached him afterwards and asked if that he wanted to be in their band. It was between him and Jimmy Tarbuck to be drummer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Redcoats have such a fascinating history as well. One being that they weren't supposed to exist in the first place. Billy Butlin had thought that the attractions of the camp, you know, it had a boating lake, swimming pool, ballroom, putting greens, etc. Tudor that bar. Would be Don't forget the Tudor bar. That's hilarious. And Check out the photo <laughs> of the Tudor bar. bar. Oh, <laughs> It looks like a carry-on set. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had it had these all these amazing facilities that hadn't, certainly hadn't been in one place before. But Butlin noticed early on that the campers, probably you know due to sort of innate British reticence, seemed kind of shy, not keen to mingle outside their family groups, which is pretty crucial for the success of the camp. So what he did was ask this guy called Norman Bradford, who was an engineer working for Butland. He asked him to get on stage and tell some jokes. I mean, obviously. The context being lost to history, but we have to assume that Norman Bradford was funny. Yeah, otherwise that's just cruel. <laughs> yeah, and also, and this is, and you'll see this fact in loads of different places. But one part of it that isn't so widespread is that Bradford was also asked during his comedy set to explain a little bit about the camp and how it worked. And that's still a major redcoat duty. So Billy Butlin immediately saw how useful this was and he sent Norman Bradford into town to get some blazers made up. Bradford originally suggested yellow or blue, which were the colours of Butlin's, but he said that red has a more jolly vibe to it. So the redcoats were born from that. But the redcoats in early Butlin's history 
They weren't just entertainers. They were almost like holiday reps. Mm. And they acted as leaders for the dining halls. This is a crazy thing, right? Say there were so many people on these camps. There were up to 10,000 people staying at some of the camps that they had assigned dining halls, right? And the dining halls were sort of almost like your schoolhouse while you were staying at Butland. So you had inter-dining hall games and competitions and the Redcoats acted as the leaders. And even though you would only be staying for a week, right, they had a campus committee with a representative chosen from a holiday maker at each dining hall. Mm -hmm. They would act as judges in the glamorous granny, knobbly knees type competitions, but also they would raise any complaints or suggestions at a weekly meeting. Wow. In 1965, Butlin's Skegness was host to the UK's first commercial monorail. That's the other thing, you'd go to Butlin's to taste the entertainment of the future. They they were the first place to have dodgems. Uh, Again, Butlin's uh, fairground background coming to the fore there. During the war, he bought a load of fairground rides when no one had need for fairground rides during that six-year period. All of the waltzes and teacups and uh, carousels and whatever that had basically laid dormant and gathering uh, moss during the war were bought up by Billy Butlin and put into Butlin's. So when it reopened after the war, there was this huge rush back from this hungry public that again wanted to be entertained. He was always on that. And actually, uh, hot on the success of my Googling what happened to the woman who played the sun baby in Teletubbies a few weeks ago, (laughs) I thought I would try my luck with where is the Butlin's monorail now because it was dismantled Ah, in the 90s. I thought it might be, you know, at a fun fair in Cyprus or something because monorails have second lives, don't they? Mm. No, I was greeted with the heartbreaking image of it rotting away in a random farmyard in Lincolnshire. Like it is... (laughs) Falling apart and left by the side of the road. That's what happened to the Butlin's monorail. Guys, let's raise money. Let's buy it. Let's restore it. And it could be the top attraction at Retroland that we have I just wonder whether it was a classic thing of like someone who does scrap metal said, oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll take it away for you and then just dumped it somewhere. <laughs> Pushed it over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you mentioned World War II. World War II was actually such a winner for Billy Butlin. Yeah. I mean, he had a fantastic World War II. Not only did he buy up all this super cheap fairground equipment, but the war office asked him, well, they told him, I guess, that's the meaning of commandeer, right? The war Mm. office commandeered the Skegness camp to be a training camp for the Royal Navy. It was designated HMS Royal Arthur. And actually, despite being targeted by German bombers 52 times, it reopened in time for the 1946 summer season, which is real candy spirit. But the interesting thing was is that they liked the camp so much, they actually commissioned Butlin to build more with the agreement that he would buy them off them super cheap after the war. Yeah, for 40% of the value. <laughs> yeah, and turn them all into resorts. So, And it was just in time for the 1950s boom. There were more working-class people able to afford holidays. But also built-in breadwinners who'd go back to their families and say, you know where I was posted during the war? It's actually a really nice campsite. Let's go and stay yeah. there. Yeah. Half of it yeah. wasn't bombed. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. It made $40 million, which A, is more than the first two Bond films combined. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.